You're listening to a Count Out Podcast. We're going to try something a little bit different here this week. We're talking about CM Punk and only CM Punk here on Pure, a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast. Once again, welcome to Pure, a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast here on the Count Out Pod Network. I am Sean Taggart, your host, that gives you a deep dive into Ring of Honor and what it was like and what would be remembered as one of the best independent promotions in the early 2000s to today. Um, a lot of what you see here is emulated in current promotions such as AEW. Even in some of the independent promotions that you see with the hustle, the drive, the work ethic that you see week in and week out with some of these competitors that put on a performance of a lifetime for you. Now, before we begin into this week's episode, let me talk about why I wanted to do something a little bit different. There's a lot of pillars in uh, Ring of Honor for me. We have your Samoa Joes, we have your Brian Danielsons, we have the Briscoes, and we also have today's topic at hand, CM Punk. We're going to talk about his entire run in Ring of Honor. It was from late 2002 into 2005 with a one-off appearance in February of 2006. We're going to talk about some of his lengthy feuds. We're going to be talking about some of those matches to check out in those feuds, as well as his lasting impact and what he's meant not only to Ring of Honor and its history, but also the business. Once again, this is Pure, a Ring of Honor retrospective podcast on the Count Out Podcast Network. Check out Ring Post Radio every Sunday uh, mornings on uh, Twitch, on Twitter, on all those uh, important channels, on the social medias. So you can listen to Scott and Ryan talk about the week that was in wrestling, give you some things to look forward to in the upcoming week, and give you some insight and honest review about what they saw and what they liked and didn't like from the previous week that was. That's once again Ring Post Radio, part of the Count Out Pod Network. But what we're doing here, and like I said, we're working really hard on understanding the backbone of Ring of Honor. We're trying to do our best to really give you guys insight into certain people in Ring of Honor that really honestly and most importantly did a lot for the company and us obviously for the wrestling scene cm punk is no exa- uh, one example of that and he is probably one of the better examples of the diy attitude that most uh, independent wrestlers have um as you can see here you know he started out in the midwest scene mainly in iwa mid-south before getting looked at by a lot of promoters for a specific match that iwa mid-south will run a lot which is Colt Cabana versus CM Punk. Now, what that means is you would see a lot of those matches across the uh, mid- Midwest and even creeping their way into the East. And in 2002, Ring of Honor wanted to bring that match to their side of the um, states and showcase that talent. But before we would get into that, his first match in Ring of Honor was a fatal five-way uh, between... Brian Danielson, Michael Shane, Paul London, and the Amazing Red. And it really was a great way to showcase all the different styles that Ring of Honor had to offer. Obviously, you had uh, Danielson as a ground and pound. You had Punk, who could do a little bit of both. Michael Shane, the showman. Uh, Paul London and Amazing Red as your high flyers. Part of that Texas Wrestling Academy group, London, Shane, and Danielson. 
Uh, Punk was trained by Ace Steel, his uh, future tag team partner in the Second City Saints. And, you know, what we saw here was a great example of that Midwest style. But it wouldn't be until uh, Night of the Butcher in December 7th of 2002 where we would see that high-profile Midwest match between CM Punk and Colt Cabana. Obviously, this was a match that was very highly regarded in independent circles as it really showcased the style of the Midwest indie scene, really gave us a lot of inside view and understanding of what, you know, what the Midwest had to offer, but it also gave us an insight of the two workers. Punk and Cabana would go on to very different trajectories, and we won't go into, you know, Cabana's career. It's a interesting one to say in its own, but, you know, this isn't about that. What it did bring out was it showcased that, you know, while everyone thought Cabana was the better worker, Punk could give you that extra intangible that made him great, that made people want to watch more. And they not only did they want to see more of that, they wanted to see more of that match, and Ring of Honor did not disappoint. Um, A few weeks later, at their first final battle event, it was Punk and Cabana yet again. Um, And this time, Cabana would get the loss as Punk overcame that. Uh, Early loss from Night of the Butcher. But it just showcased, you know, this guy could be built around something. And with the right tools and everything like that, could be something special. And we would get to see that in 2003 with a brilliant blood feud against Raven. Here's another fun fact about this Raven feud. Not only did Ring of Honor run this feud in early 2003, but you did see some hints of this feud in Major League Wrestling and also in NWA TNA. But with the NWA TNA, you would see CM Punk side with Raven and join his uh, his flock, so to speak, in that era of the flock in TNA within the Ring of Honor ranks and even some of the MLW ranks. Some of that storyline pieces were the same. Punk was the outcast outsider, kind of like Raven, but the major difference is Punk preached this straight-edge lifestyle, meaning that he doesn't drink, he doesn't do drugs. Chances are he's better than you because he doesn't do that stuff. And that would something he would preach. He would talk about, you know, Raven being heavy on the drug use, heavy on alcohol abuse, stuff like that, saying that he doesn't do this stuff because of how his father was. Certain things in the line that, you know, he didn't want to be like his father, but at the same time, he saw a lot of his father in Raven, and it kind of turned him off, so to speak. So what we would see here is a lot of back and forth around that part. We would see, you know, Raven mocking him for not taking a drink of alcohol, a sip of alcohol. We would see the two of them really focus on different aspects and different parts of the mental well-being of a person who is on the verge of alcoholism and drug abuse within Raven. You know, we would talk about here just different things that he didn't like and didn't appreciate just because of the type of person Raven was. And honestly, this really hit home for a lot of people. I know this, you know, did a lot in the personal tug of the heartstrings and stuff like that, really showcasing a different side of both CM Punk and Raven. But like I said, this closely mimics their Major League Wrestling feud, which is almost similar to what happened um, with verbatim in terms of, you know, what they were talking about um, and really what kicked the feud off. Another thing to note here, too, is CM Punk is really trying to work his way on the mic to get himself over. 
And he does a very good job at that. He has a way with the fans to get them under his skin, to get him annoyed, but also at the same time to get the fans annoyed. You know, preaching this straight edge lifestyle that he feels is makes him better than everyone else, makes him more of a complete person, an honest person, a truer person. But in the mix of all this, you know, he had some good matches. Before I talk about more of the um, feud with uh, Raven, let's talk about some of his other matches that are worth watching from the uh, second year of him in Ring of Honor. One of the first things that I think about is his match against AJ Styles. And we're looking at Tradition Continues in October 16th. This is near the end of the Raven feud, but obviously it shows you AJ Styles, a big player in NWA, TNA, CM Punk not at the level that uh, AJ was, but you get to see here how well these two work against one another. And it's a shame that we didn't get more of this, just because, as we all know, and we'll touch about it a little bit when we talk about the pure title tournament and everything like that um, on a future episode, where it comes down to the point where you don't get to see this match a lot just because AJ... Um, focuses more of his attention to NWA TNA. Obviously, CM Punk wasn't really signed there. He lost an opportunity to really be a prime player there. But you get to see here just how good Punk can be in a ring against somebody like AJ. AJ was highly regarded as one of the top wrestlers in the independent scene and also for NWA TNA at the time. And you get to see Punk just put on a showcase. It's a really underrated match. I think that a lot of people forget about this match. But it's something to honestly take a look at. Another match of his that I really enjoy is from the Round Robin Challenge, the second one, uh, Retribution Round Robin Challenge 2 from April April 26, 2003. Him against Homicide. Homicide's cut from the same cloth. He, you know, very, very much so somebody who is more of an edgier personality, um, doesn't uh, hold back on what he feels and what he thinks. But at the same time, too, he does a great job here of making CM Punk work for what he's trying to get at. He's done a very good job here of making Punk look great. Um, obviously, Punk doesn't pick up the victory here, but this is part of that um, 2003 for Homicide that just is off the charts. And the 2003 year of Homicide is chronicled in a compilation DVD uh, called the 2003 MVP the story of homicide uh ring of honor release hard to find very expensive on ebay if you do decide to look for it but that's one of the things that uh draws my attention as some of his top matches obviously you have him against uh jimmy rave and obviously this is their first encounter with one another in 2005 before punk wins the title and leaves ring of honor for wwe we do see a more fleshed out feud, and we'll talk about that when we get to 2005. But you do also see some type of teamwork with Cabana and also Ace Steel a little bit more here. Obviously, Cabana and Punk team up as the year goes on for a few matches here and there. But you really focus on Punk and Raven. I honestly think, you know, all three matches that they had in this feud from the excuse me i'm sorry four matches from the initial uh matchup at expect the unexpected on march 13th all the way to their steel cage finale from the conclusion of november 26 2003 very excellent matches and really showcase just the mental and physical anguish that these two wanted to put on against one another 
Um, we would also see a dog collar match and more of, you know, the Clockwork Orange House of Fun match, which was a staple of, like, the early hardcore elements and what we would see in uh, TNA. Um, but what we would see here is, like, a, not a watered-down version of that Clockwork match, but more of a style that would work on a more independent wrestling budget. Impact had, um, excuse me, TNA at the time did have some, you know, they could do a little bit more lavish stuff with it. But you got to see punk become more of a true brawler fight for himself do everything that would get him over but at the same time get him more sympathetic towards the fans and this feud right here made him at the time a very good underdog and a fan favorite i mean we did see everything that you know raven tried to do with him in this feud um, this was more fleshed out than their MLW feud. I mean, you got to see a little bit more. I think you got a little bit more creative freedom on the side of Punk and uh, Raven. They got to do everything into their you know style and what they wanted, what their vision was in this feud. So it was nice to get that them those flowers that they deserved in this. I will say another one that was part of the feud was CM Punk versus Terry Funk. It was a decent story match, and I would recommend watching it to get this full story in effect. Um, obviously, as we know, Punk and Raven picked the opponents for one another, and we did see uh, Raven choose Terry Funk for CM Punk. It was a very good match. At the end of the year, it would just be a, a, a win against uh, Mace Mendoza at the RH fan convention prior to Final Battle 2003, and then a tag team victory with Cole Cabana against Kajushi uh, Miyamoto and Tomaki Homa. And we all know Homa and his tough head were no match for the Second City Saints. And honestly, 2004 is a tale of two years for CM Punk. We have the tag team um, side with Second City Saints against the Briscoes and against the Prophecy. But we also get the back half of 2004, which is his fight for the Ring of Honor title. Now, prior to the tag titles going between those three teams, as I mentioned, they did their first ever pure title tournament in the early stages, their second anniversary show in 2004. Um, the finals did see CM Punk drop, uh, or excuse me, lose to AJ Styles. He would become your first uh, pure title champion, but we know how that lasted. It didn't last very long after the Rob Feinstein allegations came out of uh, you know all that we would see AJ Styles get removed from Ring of Honor as TNA did not want anything to do with that. So we would get a later in the year another opportunity to crown a uh, pure champion. But after that, we would get to see Punk really focus on the tag team side of things and go into a brief war not only with um, the tag teams of uh, J. Mark Briscoe, the Briscoes, and BJ, Whiffer, BJ Whitmer and Dan Maff of... Um, the prophecy, but also with Ricky Steamboat. Now, the dragon was very involved in Ring of Honor. It also goes back to him uh, and Punk size costing him a match against Brian Danielson um, as he was a special guest ref and force of that match. But we would get to see some back and forth with them getting physical with one another, um, but really it didn't lead to anything big. Uh, minus the altercations that they had. And eventually, you know, Punk would start to respect uh, the Dragon a little bit more. Uh, Steamboat would respect Punk a little bit more. 
but this is the time where we really got to see tag team punk and doing a lot of tag teams with his uh, second city saints brethren of mainly Colt cabana at the time as they were the ring of honor tag team champions his first title in ring of honor was a tag team title with uh with cabana so you have that going on for them plus you do also have a lot of really nice back and forth uh one of the things that round robin challenge three was about was the matches between the um, briscoes the second city saints and the prophecy of bj whitmer and dan math as they pretty much would ch change hands the titles would change hands throughout that entire show um so we would get to see a lot of different things obviously we would see cabana and uh cabana and punk uh win the match at um reborn stage two lose the titles earlier in the night to um bj whitmer and dan math bj whitmer and dan math would then lose the titles to the briscoes and then on the final match of uh the round robin challenge uh the third one we would see Punk and Cabana regain the titles against the Briscoes and hold on to them for quite some time before dropping them in July to the uh, Pitbulls of Rocky Romero and Ricky Reyes. So, I mean, you did have a lot of tag team Punk in 2004, but really 2004 was also about the Samoa Joe CM Punk feud over the Ring of Honor world title. Very good matches here. Obviously, there's been compilations about the three series, uh, the three matches. Obviously, Samoa Joe would win all three of them, but we did get classics after each one. Their first time that they would face one another would be all the way back in June 12th at uh, World Title Classic, one of the highly regarded matches here. Samoa Joe would get the victory here, but it was a very good back-and-forth match. We did see a lot with uh, CM Punk really trying to, you know, work his style, but Samoa Joe's too powerful. You can't do that style with a guy like Samoa Joe. Joe will figure it out, and Joe did and got the better of Punk in that night. So we had that going on. Um, their second match went to a 60-minute draw and uh, Joe versus Punk 2. Once again, a little bit of a back and forth. Just, you know, Punk learned from his uh, first match and tried to do different things. Not enough to get the job done, but just enough, really, to focus on getting under the skin of Samoa Joe to the point where, you know, I'm going to try to do this to you. Will this work? Okay, it's not working. I'm going to try this now. Just really coming after him with different styles of attacks to the point, you know, where Joe is like, okay, okay, maybe I should take him a bit more seriously. Maybe I should focus on him a bit more, do different things which would really give me him the edge and the style of points that would be needed to really focus on their third and final match, which was a no time limit match. Um, didn't go over 60, uh, but it did go long enough to get Samoa Joe a victory here. And for the time being, Punk was okay with that. You know, Punk put out everything. The fans once again started to feel bad for Punk and would start cheering Punk would be on his side giving him the you know adulation from the fans I think was one of the big things that Ring of Honor did right you know made him not really made him an underdog but gave him enough of a push where you know okay I see what he's trying to do here I respect what he's trying to do here now what can he do more 
how would he work as a as a good guy in the, uh, another feud down the line and stuff like that? How would the fans respond to him? Punk was quick to hate on. I mean, you know, based on the way he talked and based on the way he was in the ring and outside the ring, yeah, there's a lot of times where Punk would be hated, and rightfully so. Punk was a dick for the most of the time in Ring of Honor and in his wrestling career in general. Um, that's not changed for him. He's always been that guy. It's very hard to get rid of that aspect out of somebody who is the way he is. Very hard-headed. We all know that. But one of the things that we saw with CM Punk is his drive and his passion for wrestling. And, you know, right now, back in AEW and everything like that, I think that passion and excitement is reigniting in him. And that's why you're seeing him put on some of the better matches that he has done, you know, since his time in Ring of Honor. Since he had the opportunity to really focus on the wrestling aspect of it. He's putting on some great matches here, and this is one of those examples. The Samoa Joe matches made people believe that CM Punk could have been a liable threat to some powerhouse like Samoa Joe. And at the end of the year for Samoa Joe, he would drop the title to Austin Aries, and that wasn't surprising. Austin Aries, another very good piece of the Ring of Honor roster. But Punk put that into play and said, okay, I see how... Punk can do things. Can I do the same? Can I bring in that energy? Can I bring in that excitement to take over? And he did. And 2006, while it wasn't his year, it showcased that Punk could be a major player and he could make a lot of noise. And 2005, while it was his last year, he did just that. So in 2005, it rolls around again, and it is a very interesting start of the year with uh, CM Punk as he is tied into a feud with the Embassy's Jimmy Rave, the crown jewel of the Embassy. And honestly, you know, we've talked, I haven't really gotten a chance to really divulge and share my thoughts about Jimmy Rave. I talked a little bit the last episode about him. A very good wrestler, a very good character worker, you know, this whole crown jewel character of a group like the Embassy, this was very well suited for him, this was a good fit for him. I feel as if, you know, he wasn't respected enough and I don't think he was given the chance to shine as a performer the way he should have in a company like TNA when he was there and was part of a team with Lance Hoyt. I don't think it fit his personality. I don't think it fit who he was. I mean, pretending to be a fake rock and roller after coming off as like this prince, this crown jewel, this big thing in the embassy and then going over to that really didn't fit and suit him well. And I think, you know, what happened was it, it hurt him. It really hurt the trajectory of his career and it also really hurt who he felt like he was as a performer because he couldn't recapture that magic. And it's a shame because... In the early days of Ring of Honor, you could see how good he was when he was given the chance to shine and given the chance to learn and understand and come to be the wrestler he was under the tutelage of Prince Nana, a very good manager, a very decent wrestler at the time, but he performed well as a manager and he did wonders for the a guy like Jimmy Rafe. And this is a good example of that. I mean... We had a very good back and forth in terms of what we would see between um, these guys. We had, you know, the singles matches. We had a dog collar. And, you know, like usual, if anything big needs to happen, a steel cage gets involved. And that steel cage match was a very good match in a way 
where we got to see just how good these two could be given the opportunity to get that main event spot to get to that point where you know Jimmy could be trusted with Punk, Punk could be trusted with Jimmy, and they could do some magic in the ring. And it was a very good match. Obviously, CM Punk would get over in this match. And it was a very good telling sign of where they would be going with Punk next. Now, what we would see is more of the same. You know, Punk would, the night, night before, he would get a chance at the tag team titles. They would lose him and A Steel to. Uh, B.J. Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs, and they've had a long-standing feud, the two of them, Whitmer and Jacobs, but they were team up at first, you know, kind of weird things here with uh, Lacey's, the updated version of Lacey's Angels with Jacobs and Whitmer to the point where, you know, Jacobs fell hard for Lacey, as we all know, but, I mean, you really hear Punk decides, or not decides, but as we all know, Punk finally gets a shot at the world title. Now we all know um, Punk was going to WWE. He had the contract. It was all finalized. This was his final match in Ring of Honor. And all of a sudden, Punk gets a three count and cuts this beautiful promo on everybody in that arena, on the company, and says he would be taking this title to WWE Developmental with him so he can show everyone just why he's the best in the world. The very next night, the very next night, he would be getting the chance to, again, showcase just how good he is as a wrestler and put his money where his mouth is and face Jay Lethal. But to top it all off, to begin the show... To start off the show, he would sign his WWE contract that he got fresh in the mail. I'm sure he signed it before, but this was another copy of it right on the Ring of Honor title. And boy, did the crowd hate that more than Matt Hardy's time here in Ring of Honor. Because this was right around the same time that Hardy was in Ring of Honor. And he would put on a classic against Jay Lethal, but that's not all. He would then go on and defeat the likes of Roderick Strong, James Gibson, CM Punk would defeat Chris Daniels. Who, at the time, this is, again, very smart uh, storytelling. Daniels was against the Code of Honor. He was against everything that Ring of Honor stood for in the ways that, you know, shake hands before and after the match, do this, do that. But he wanted to defend this company because he thought what CM Punk was doing was dastardly and not really honor worthy. So to have... A guy like Christopher Daniels come in and think what you're doing is wrong takes a lot. Obviously, as we know, uh, Daniels wouldn't get the title that night. Punk would eventually drop the title to James Gibson in a foray, which also involved Daniels and Samoa Joe. And, I mean, when it comes to Ring of Honor and when it comes to everything that CM Punk was known for, and, you know, what made CM Punk a Ring of Honor. Let's just do the Colt Cabana CM Punk match one more time. Make it two out of three falls. But Cabana would win there. And honestly, you know, it made sense. The parting star usually loses their final match. They put over everyone and stuff like that. But, and he did. The thing is about this, I felt with everything that Punk has done, he put Ring of Honor on the map. He put Ring of Honor up into this new pedestal with this short title ring that he had where he signed the title when he signed his contract on the title I mean he did a lot here 
in that short amount of time to make him hate in and everything like that. Punk getting a win in this two out of three falls match would have been something special, I think. But, you know, it happens. We get to see what happens in a few months. Uh, Snowstorm hits. They're short on uh, bodies. Who comes out to save Brian Danielson against the embassy? None other than CM Punk. He was there in the area and he just wanted to wrestle. So Punk and Danielson would face the embassies. Um, Jimmy Rave and uh, I think it was Adam Pierce. Yeah, Adam Pierce in a tag match on Unscripted 2. A lot of things had to change to that show because of the storm that was in play. But God, Punk came back and he got the hero's welcome he deserved. It was a very good last showing for Punk. And obviously, as we know, he had his WWE Summer of Punk um, where he won the title in 2011. And we had that Money in the Bank moment where he won the title and kissed himself goodbye outside of WWE for a short period of time. But the Ring of Honor Summer of Punk from June to August of 2006, I'm sorry, 2005, very well done. This really showcase Punk's true ability to just turn the crowd just like that. Turn them inside out, get them to hate him instantly. I thought it was a very well done uh, turn and a very well done you know just very well done story and really you know gave Punk the Noriarty excuse me I can't say that word today um, but it also gave him the ability to really just showcase just how good he could be in all facets of his character. Turn just like that. Speak against certain things. Just very well done. This was a great showcase of CM Punk in his final few months in Ring of Honor. God, th- this right here, this alone would put him on the Mount Rushmore of Ring of Honor. But, I mean, his old body of work also justifies that need. And with that, you know, that was CM Punk's career in Ring of Honor. Um, and it was a very strong, very well-liked career. I think what you can say is Punk did a lot for Ring of Honor, and Ring of Honor did a lot for Punk. Now, you can, you know, learn about more CM Punk on the independent scenes by listening to Mikey and Zach on Indie Waters every Wednesday here on the Count Out Podcast Network. Maybe they'll cover a match of CM Punk against Chris Hero, the hour-and-a-half match the two out of three falls match that a lot of people talk about. Maybe it's going to be his time against Eddie Guerrero and Rey Mysterio. There's a lot of independent matches that CM Punk has had that you guys should watch and you guys should, you know, respect because CM Punk was a great worker in the independent scene. And maybe Indy Warders will give you that ability just to dive in a little bit deeper into CM Punk's work. Once again, independent Warders here on the Count Out Podcast Network. So, you know, that was all about CM Punk here, and I really you know, enjoy everyone who's taken the time out and has given this show a listen. Um, with This is our fifth episode now. We're five episodes in. I wanted to try a little bit, uh, something a little bit different. Wanted to get inside the career of somebody who's made an impact in Ring of Honor in such a short period of time. Just give you some quick uh, highlights and quick tips and give you some recommendations. Now, some recommendations for matches here for CM Punk. Obviously, watch his match uh, against Austin Aries at um, Death Before Dishonor in 2005. Let me just make sure I got the right show here. Hold on one second. Yep. Death Before Dishonor, uh, June 18, 2005. That's the title match against Austin Aries. Watch his match uh, against... 
Jimmy Rave, uh, Nowhere to Run, May 14, 2005. Obviously, the Raven feud in general from 2003 is a great watch. You can watch any of the matches between Punk and Cabana, the two from 2002 um, in December, or the last match in August of 2005. There's a lot. There's a lot you can watch, and there's a lot that you can get excited about. Um, obviously, if you want to see CM Punk tags run, you can watch early 2004 as the tag team champion uh, part of the Second City Saints with both Ace Steel and Cole Cabana. And I would be remiss if I didn't bring up any of the title matches that he had against Samoa Joe. Joe vs. Punk 2, uh, World Title Classic. Any of those matches that you want to take a look at and watch, obviously these are the shows that I would recommend for you. Um, or matches it rather but this was a new idea for me leave me feedback on twitter at sean taggart 531 you can leave comments on the pure uh, ring of honor retrospective podcast feed on spotify and itunes wherever you get your podcast you can leave that feedback there you can also leave the feedback on the um count out podcast uh, feed itself but i would like to thank everyone for taking the time and listening to this quick retrospective of cm punk and his time in Ring of Honor, just highlighting everything that he did. Um, I can go more in depth and we can have a discussion about CM Punk in a, another time. But next time here on Pure, we're going to be talking about the first time that they were in Japan. We'll be talking about Live in Tokyo, a great show from 2007. And we will really get the show started after that with some different events and everything to get us uh, the bull rolling here. Um, once again, this is Sean Taggart. Leave us feedback. Leave me feedback. Leave whatever you want, any type of feedback. This helps me understand what you guys want to hear. Let me know what you thought of this episode again. Uh, see you guys in uh, two weeks for Live in Tokyo. This has been a Countout Podcast.